So how many suitcases do you own? Do you have a favorite one? Do you have one for short trips, kind of a small one? Do you have one for longer trips? And then do you have that one? And it's the one that you are going to take empty when you go to a place that has Hobby Lobby or Michael's or Fry's Electronics, may it rest in peace, or Chick-fil-A. And you need a lot of suitcase for all the stuff that you are going to bring back because you know that you can't get some of that stuff here. Amazon is okay, but it's not good enough. And so you're going to just bring all this amazing stuff back and you got to have that gigantic suitcase. You know, my favorite suitcase has over 2 million miles on it. It's really not all that big. It's just the right size. has room for everything I need and not enough room for anything I don't need. And there's a wonderful theological correlation there. You know, the world has become a giant two-year-old. Obedience is a bad word. Incompatible with their American dream of independence, individualism, and freedom, like eating chocolate cake for breakfast or not having to take a nap. Unless, of course, you want to take a nap even when you're supposed to be awake. Or crying and throwing a hissy fit when you don't get your own way. You see, that's their modern theory of a perfect, beautiful life. Not mine. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, one of the basic protest chants was question authority. Not really very smart. I mean, that's like questioning gravity. You can question it, but it's not going to go well for you. If it's genuine authority, then it must be respected and obeyed. Now, on the other hand, Questioning authorities, as in those who interpret the authority, that's always a good idea. God puts it this way in 1 John. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He also gives us a great example. When the Bereans would go home every night after listening to St. Paul preach to make sure that what he said lined up with the scriptures. You see, that's what we're called to do. We make sure that the authorities line up with authority. Jiminy Cricket told Pinocchio, let your conscience be your guide. And in 1940, that might have been possible, but I'm not so sure anymore. You know, I believe Romans chapter 2.15, where it says that the law of God is written on our hearts. But I also believe by looking out at the world around us, especially some of those news stories, that some people have found a way to smother God's law to the point where they no longer see it, hear it, or experience it. They have become their own authority. There are two primary ways to see authority. Now, you are either obeying someone for their sake, meaning that you have to do something even if you don't want to. This is kind of like Romans 13, where it says everyone must obey the governing authorities for they do not bear the sword for nothing. Or, and this is the second option, you are obeying someone for your sake meaning that you choose to do something. And by the way, we do need to say, sometimes what we choose to do is not what we want to do, but it's what needs to be done. And this is like, as Jesus says, we forgive one another or love one another as he has forgiven and loved us. Not because we deserved it, not because they deserved it, but because he loved and forgave us, we love them. It becomes our choice to love and forgive them because of what Jesus did with and for us. It's a big difference between those two. And it's not an either or option. It really is a both and necessity. In our gospel lesson, there are some very promising words mixed with the post-Easter excitement. St. Luke says, then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Greek word for understand is tsunami, which means to send, apprehend, or gain insight. When you get sent after gaining insight, there's an expectation that you aren't just going out to tell everybody, 
I understand. But rather, you are going out to make changes. You're going out to do something because you understand. In other words, your understanding has now led you to action. In Isaiah 55, God says, So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in what I send it to do. In other words, it's not us doing all this stuff. It's God working in and through His Word and His Spirit to accomplish these things in and through us. So back to our Gospel lesson. There are 11 men and a few women in the room that day. Now, by the way, St. Paul, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that over 500 brothers saw Jesus after His resurrection. Paul even goes on to say, you know what? If you want to talk to them and get the story from them, most of them are still alive. St. Luke mentions that there were at least 70 disciples who Jesus sent out. Now, even if there are 500 men and a bunch of women, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you, what do you think? Is having 500 people? Let's just say there's another 500 women. Is having 1,000 individuals enough to start a worldwide ministry? We're hoping to launch a new online ministry here at Our Savior. We want to help care for those who either cannot come to church or those not just here but around the world who don't have a church near them. It's going to be called the church with slash out walls. In other words, with walls and without walls. Now, we don't need 500 people to start a church. We don't need 1,000. We don't even need 70. Why? Because we have a website, a Facebook account, email, and a telephone. Last week, we heard from people in Japan, Alaska, Virginia, Utah, Colorado, and Maryland. And we were able to respond immediately. Now, while that's not exactly all nations, it's not bad for a small church on an island in the middle of the Pacific. But 2,000 years ago, it was very different. They didn't have our technology. If a church had a question, if an individual Christian had a question, it might take a month or longer just to get the word to one of the apostles, let alone get it back. And by the way, it's not like they had a mail service like we did. In other words, it was, oh, you're going? I've got a question. Could you please find St. Paul? Well, where's he at? Well, he was in Corinth, but he could be in Galatia. He might be in Philippi. In other words, it was kind of a game of tag. So, back then... There was also the persecution, and that meant the apostles could not have an office at one resurrection boulevard for everybody to come to. They were scattered all over the place. There wasn't a New Testament yet, no seminaries, book publishers, radio, or TV stations. There weren't even any copy machines, which meant if you wanted a copy of something, you had to sit down and copy it yourself. When Jesus told them to make disciples of all nations, how were they supposed to do that? You know, Jesus was also the one who said, before you start something, make sure that you got everything you need. Make sure you got enough money so that people aren't laughing at you when you can't finish it. That's good advice. And that means I know that he knew that when he told them to make disciples of all nations, that they had absolutely everything they needed to do what he commanded. You know, with enough money, you can do just about anything. Now, we don't have an unlimited bank account, but here's what we discovered with a little bit of money, and some very gifted, passionate people, we can do an awful lot here. By the way, quite often I will gather those gifted, passionate people, and I'll gather them together, sometimes separately, sometimes in a group, and I'll say, I've got this idea. I've got this vision. I've got this dream. 
Now, sometimes they say, that's funny. You're kidding, right? Other times they say, hmm, that's interesting. And then they go back to whatever they were doing. But the best times, the best times are when they say, when can we get started on that? You see, authority comes in different forms. There is top down. Do this because I got a bunch of gold braid on my shoulders or a bunch of titles before or after my name. Therefore, you have to do what I tell you to do. There's also the bottom-up kind of authority where enough people create a mass, a majority, and they say, do this because you're outnumbered. And then there is the kind where gifted, passionate people come together believing in something so strongly that they trust that because it's from God, they'll have everything they need in order to accomplish it because it really is the right thing to do. And that's when they reach out and they say, we'd like you to join us. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. Here's why we're doing it. Would you like to walk alongside of us? Because we think eventually this is going to change the world. For three years, Jesus wandered through Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And by the way, Jesus rarely pulled the, I'm God's son, so you better do what I say. Now, he did chase everyone out of the temple using a whip. And he said, this is my father's house. And he did tell the demons, you better leave God's people alone or else. But the rest of the time, St. Paul says Jesus didn't think that he needed to prove he was God but instead he took the form of a servant. After the resurrection, before the ascension, so that there would be no mistake about who he is and why he came and what the end goal of Good Friday and Easter Sunday was, he told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now notice, he didn't say some authority, or you know what, I've been given authority over this planet and that moon. He didn't say, well, I've got authority now over the Middle East. No, instead, all authority everywhere in the universe is now mine. No question. Unfortunately, over the years, quite a few people came up with their own translation. And these are people, by the way, I'm talking about inside the church. And they say, all authority in heaven on earth has been put into a book called the Bible, which I'm going to hit you over the head with and tell you do what it says. Or they say, all authority has been put into the mouth of a pastor. So you better listen to him and do what he says, even if it doesn't line up with the Bible. Or, all authority has been given to an organization called the church. So, you better do what the church says or we're going to kick you out. You know the Bible, pastors, churches, ministries, they only have authority if they are in Christ. If Jesus is not in them, they don't have any authority, no matter what they say. If God has not inspired the Bible, it's just another book. Fortunately, God did. It's the inspired and errant word of God, and I'm thankful. Regardless of how entertaining a sermon might be, if that person, that pastor, doesn't know Jesus, it's just a bunch of words. Might be the largest and most popular church in town. If Jesus isn't there, it's nothing more than a social club. And those ministries that are so desperate for your money, if Jesus is not using them as his hands and feet to care for his people, they're nothing more than con artists. This is what St. John said in his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, we skip a few verses that talks about John the baptizer, and then we pick up with these words. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if we still don't quite get that, the author of Hebrews says, In many and various ways God spoke to His people of old by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
There is only one authority for all things, and that is the God who created all things, redeemed all things, and who holds all things together. We know this God because he sent his son to save us. In other words, God revealed himself to us. He came down and he said, it's not enough for me to throw words at you. I'm going to give you the word, my son, who will redeem you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And this God wants everyone to know him. And so he's sending you and me, as broken as we are, out into the world to make that happen. We need a suitcase because we can't put everything in our pockets. I mean, if we're just going to Lahui for a couple of hours, we can probably get by with a backpack. But if we're going on a cruise or if we're visiting family on the mainland or if we're going for a walkabout down in Australia, unless we plan on buying everything we need when we get there, we're going to need a suitcase. Maybe a small one, maybe a medium-sized one, maybe a huge one for everything that we need to take with us. Now, here's the heart of today's sermon. Both the suitcase and the contents are important but for very different reasons. The suitcase is only important because it carries your contents safely wherever you're going. The suitcase itself can be any color, shape, size, with or without a handle. It could be leather, plastic, nylon. You see, as long as the suitcase does the job, it doesn't matter what it looks like. All it has to do is carry what it needs to carry safely. A few years back, I was at the airport got off the plane, went to baggage claim, was waiting for my bag to come down that little chute. And all of a sudden, as we were standing there, I looked up and I was a little ways back, but it was very identifiable. First came a pair of underwear and then came some socks and then came a dress and a shirt and all sorts of other things. And then a suitcase that it looked like had been through a shredder came down. And this woman, she was gathering all of it up and trying to shove it into the shredded suitcase. Everyone felt sorry for her. Last week, a Louis Vuitton airplane-shaped suitcase sold for $39,000. By the way, if you saw a picture of it, yeah, okay. Maybe you think it's cute. But here's the thing. You might be able to get a couple of pairs of socks, a couple of pairs of underwear, and maybe one shirt maybe even your toothpaste or toothbrush in it. But this thing, because of the way it's shaped and everything, it doesn't hold an awful lot. And let's face it, for $39,000, there's no way that you're going to check it as baggage, which means you're going to keep it with you. That's not my idea of a suitcase. You see, pretty much that thing is useless, except to put on a shelf and say, you got to see how much money I spent on that. So back to God's Word. When Jesus opened their mind to the Scriptures, He turned them all into suitcases to take the gospel to the world. Now, they should have been terrified. They should have blurted out a million questions. Really, Jesus? Are you sure? Come on, Jesus. How is this? They should have run screaming down the street. He's not just a ghost. He's a madman. There is no way this possible. But they didn't. Because they knew what was inside them. This amazing, beautiful, powerful gospel not only brought them forgiveness, peace, and eternal life, but it would give the same to anyone who heard it, and who by the power of the Spirit was called to understand and be given the gift of faith to believe themselves. Because you see, the God we worship and the authority of His Word works like that. God knew each of the disciples was uniquely perfect for where they would journey. Oscar Wilde said, be you, because everybody else is taken, and that's so true. God doesn't expect you to drop everything and become a missionary to a place you can't spell, let alone find on the map, unless unless that is the shape of your suitcase. And by the way, you would then know it. Well, there's going to be discomfort, a little anxiety, some nervousness. 
But the more you come to know the power of God in your own life, the easier it is for you to open up your suitcase to let others see what God has done in and through you. God expects you to open up your suitcase at the dinner table with your friends and family. He expects you to open up your suitcase at the office with your coworkers. He expects you to open up your suitcases to all the faces that are on the Zoom call or open up your suitcase in the parking lot while you're waiting for your kid. You are God's suitcase, uniquely created to carry the gospel to where you were perfectly designed to carry it to. It might be a little embarrassing to open yourself up to let people see who you really are, but if they see grace and love and forgiveness, they'll get over the embarrassment and the awkward things. They'll actually come and say, thank you, thank you for letting us see God at work in you and the grace and mercy that is truly the gospel. You see, here's the best thing about being a suitcase. We just carry the gospel. When Jesus opened the mind of the disciples to his word, it didn't mean they fully understood his sacrifice, the resurrection, heaven, the omnipotence of God, or any of the other theological constructs that, to be bluntly honest, are beyond the human mind to understand. What Jesus opened their mind to was the authority of God. The authority of God to forgive sins. The authority of God to love someone who thought that they were unlovable. The authority of God to redeem someone who thought they were beyond redemption. The authority of God to save a world that actually put His Son to death on a cross. The authority of God to speak life into death and hope and light into darkness. That is the authority that is on display when you open the suitcase of your life for others to see. They don't see everything neatly and perfectly washed, folded, and placed in just the right spot. They don't see bleached, unstained clothes or brand new, never-used toiletries. They see the mess, the stains, the squeezed tube of toothpaste, the rumpled shirt, the wrinkled jacket that is the real us. And the us, by the way, that we've come to love because it's the us that Jesus came to save. The Bible said, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. We are not models of perfection or supreme confidence. We are examples of His grace and the faith that He has given us. So back to the baggage area at United a few years ago in the underwear, socks, dresses, shirts, and other things that came down the conveyor belt along with that shredded suitcase. A few minutes after the mad dash began and this woman was gathering them all up, another woman arrived. Now, she gasped. She turned bright red. And then she, too, began gathering things up. And as she came together with the woman who had been gathering up things in the first place, the second woman said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And the first woman said, I assume these are yours. You know, the same thing happened to me a few years ago. I know exactly what you're feeling. Don't worry about it. And she handed her all the things that she had gathered up in that shredded suitcase. And so... In just a moment, two strangers suddenly knew each other because of something as strange as a shredded suitcase. The best and most powerful evangelism is one beggar tells another beggar where to find food, or one lost soul tells another where to get found, or one sinner tells another where to find forgiveness, or one person who went through something helps another th person get through their pain. And the only way that happens is if we open our suitcases for the world to see and let God's Word and Spirit speak for themselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.